When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Penny, I could die. If you died, you'd forget me. I want to be remembered. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? I just come up sometimes, see me. I'm home every evening. This is Simon Rose. Um, you join us for the last straightforward business of film of the year, where James Cameron is going to be telling us what's been happening in the box office. And for week after week after week, you'd be talking about how the box office has gone down, but would it be rescued by the second Avatar film? So we're about to find out. Hello, Simon. Hi, well, James. as it's been four weeks of chaos where box office figures have been tumbling. This week, the box office did actually go up because we have a new film, and it's a biggie. Mm. And the weekend figures leapt by 185.3%. Wow. Which is massive. Avatar The Way of Water grossed £11.2 million over the weekend with a site average of 15,517. Ooh, wow. Which is phenomenal. Which is not bad considering the original, which became the highest grossing film in history, took 6.7 million in its opening weekend, compared to 11.2 last weekend. And Avatar, the original, culminated with a 94 million pound total in the UK. However, Jurassic World Dominion made 12.1 million, which is less than 11.2 million in its opening weekend mm. back in June of this year, while Wakanda Forever opened with 12.4 million and the Batman pocketed 13.5 million. I so, would surmise that those are probably cheaper films as well. Uh, yes, we'll be getting on to that. Yeah. Although it was more expensive to see Avatar and friends of mine were furious that when they went to see the film that they'd hiked the prices just for that one film, Avatar mm. The Way of Water, right. in order right. to make all that moolah. <sighs> so although it's made more than the original Avatar, it hasn't done as well as one might have expected compared to films like Jurassic World Dominion, Wakanda Forever or The Batman <laughs> but it's it's saved the film industry just before Christmas and I know you rushed off to see it and I'd be surprisingly I haven't yet managed, I sort of feel I've seen it, I've seen the trailer umpteen times oh I'm so sorry, that was such a mistake Simon because <laughs> in many ways Avatar The Way of Water is a miracle I think every new film that James Cameron embarks on necessitates a degree of technology that has never been implemented before. 
New software has to be invented and new cameras modified in order to serve his vision of a fresh type of cinema. There isn't really anybody like him working in film today. And since Avatar grossed $2 billion, $923 million worldwide, more than any film. Give that to me again. $2.9 billion. $2 billion. Nine hundred and twenty-three million. That's just shy of three million. Grief, good grief, yum. So he was able to stump up a reported three hundred and fifty to four hundred million for the sequel, which isn't even the most expensive movie ever made. Mm. But once you tack on the marketing budget, one is talking about a staggering investment. Of course, the spiraling costs of Titanic are now legendary. It being the film with a price tag. It was the first film with a price tag bigger than 200 million, Titanic. (laughs) Before then, James Cameron was responsible for the first film to break the $100 million ceiling for the Arnold Schwarzenegger action adventure, True Lies. However, to set the record straight, Avatar The Way of Water is not the most expensive film ever made. That record goes to a Rob Marshall vehicle starring Ian McShane, Penelope Cruz, and as Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp, namely Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides is the most expensive film ever made. So it's not surprising that Avatar The Way of Water looks amazing. But at times, I had to keep on telling myself that it wasn't directed by Paul Verhoeven, which is not a good thing. The Way of Water is very violent. I'm never very happy when children are used as leverage in a torture scene, nor am I particularly fond of dismemberment. But I get the reference to Moby Dick. In fact, the film is packed with allusions to other tales from Aesop. Think of Androlokes and the thorn in the lion's paw. Mm as well as Pinocchio, Waterworld, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, (laughs) Finding Nemo, Disney's Moana, and Platoon. Talking of Platoon, the opening of Avatar, which you know I saw again recently, Mm. is ripped straight out of Apocalypse Now. I think Cameron is perhaps a more original director when it comes to the technology rather than the actual ideas. In fact, the first film in which a wounded soldier abandons his comrades in arms and goes native and becomes one with the indigenous people. That is the story of dancing, dances with wolves. Throw in the webbed beings of the way of, yeah, yeah, say so. Well, that was Apocalypse Now as well, isn't it? I mean, it's probably quite a few films. Yes. Although Kevin Costner and Sam Worthington <clears throat> and Avatar were both, they, they couldn't walk. Whereas I think Marlon Brando, who mm. went native as Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, at least he could walk. Although he, well, at least he could <laughs> With some waddle. difficulty. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <waddle>. Exactly. <laughs> but throw in the wed beings of the way of water, think Waterworld, and we have a Kevin Costner double whammy. But I don't remember seeing his name in the acknowledgements, but maybe I missed it. Anyway, there's not much point in explaining the plot of Avatar 2, as there is so much of it. But once again, Homo sapiens return to the fertile moon of Pandora. And with Stephen Lang's nasty Colonel 
Miles Quaritch, reincarnated as a Na'vi avatar. His new mission is straight-up genocide. It transpires that the human race has made their own planet, Earth, uninhabitable. So Quaritch is hell-bent on colonizing Pandora, seeing it as a new world in outer mm -hmm. space. And so the native Pandorans have to go, repeating the slaughter inflict inflicted on the Native American, who had the audacity to exist in perfect harmony with nature. There are many ways of looking at the environmental message here, and the historical one, indeed. And presumably the film is meant to make our blood boil. I did think the first Avatar, released 13 years ago, was ahead of its time, with both its well, its environmental message, wheelchair-bound protagonist, uh, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, and trees that communicated which, with, with each other through their roots. In the sequel, the first of four, by the way, Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana flee the rainforest of Pandora to hang out with the reef people, green-skinned Na'vi who live off and often in the ocean. Here there's a bit of West Side Story. Think of the jets and the sharks. Mm. As the younger members of each Na'vi clan inevitably clash my advice is to see Avatar The Way of Water in IMAX and to take a thermos of coffee. It is ridiculously long, three hours, 12 minutes, and it's also schematic, that is, it's calculating, or should I say manipulative, and I found it one-dimensional. The bad guys are very, very bad, and the message is heavy-handed. Even the visuals... I'm afraid, are very cartoony. So that it's a jolt whenever we cut from the Na'vi to the real-life actors playing the human invaders. Mm. That sounds disappointing. It would be very interesting to see then whether the box office holds up. Um, Were you bored? Good, good question. Um, I realised you were missing your coffee fix. I will say I couldn't wait for it to end. Oh, God. Right, OK. I mean, it looks And great. that's the first of four sequels. Well, presumably only if this one does reasonably well. Avatar 5 is already in production. Seriously? Seriously, yes. Oh, my God. Because it was much cheaper for Cameron to shoot them all at once. Oh, right, of course. And he's still okay. shooting, and he's still making, and he's still tweaking. This, I mean, I just don't know where he can go because I thought Avatar 2 was so similar to Avatar, except instead of the rainforest, we had the ocean. But I now want to go back and watch Moana, the Disney cartoon. <laughs> anyway, that is number one, and it's making well, a lot of money. It is. Let us see if that lasts. James, this is probably a very good moment for us to take a break because I ain't going to want to talk about other things as we go down the chart um but for the moment let's give you a chance to have a breather another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rage. You're listening to The Business of Film. James Cameron Wilson has been telling us about Avatar The Way of Water, the first of four sequels to Avatar. Um, so what is, what's happened to the rest of the box office? Presumably people have been deserting the other films in droves, have they? Well, ab- absolutely. I would like to talk to um, a film at number eight, but I'm going to rattle through the okay. main top nine because there are two um, streaming films I would like to talk about. So at number two, we've got Bar Matilda. Uh, the musical, or Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm coming humbug. around to that. Yes, you know, much better than Bar Humbug. Yeah, <laughs> which made amazingly 1.3 million pounds, down 38 percent. So it's still holding pretty well for a total of 12.7 million. Black Panther, Wakanda. I think that opened in October. It's still at number three. Wakanda Forever, which was at number two, down 53% for a total of 31.6. Violent Night, which I loved, great fun, was at number three, now at number four, down 38% with a total of 2.7 million. Strange World, maybe Disney's strangest film, Take Hallucinogens, Not Coffee, down 37% for a total of 2 million, which is staggeringly disappointing at this time of year for Disney's big annual cartoon number six we've got john favreau's elf with will ferrell which is holding very well down 23 percent. it was six last weekend still at number six number seven we've got home alone which was at number eight so that's gone up in the chart down a mere 20 percent. so that is the strongest holdover of the weekend mm-hmm. and number eight we've got a film i think you rather liked called it's a wonderful life celebrating its 75th anniversary and it made 94,000 at 140 venues it's of course a loose remake of a christmas carol which joins the new opera version of a christmas carol the rsc production with adrian edmondson as scrooge the tv movie christmas carol with an E on the end of Carol, because it's about Carol, play, played by... There's a stage Durango. musical version of It's a Wonderful Life as well. Um, there is that. You can see Christmas Carol. That's available to stream on Sky Max with yeah, Now yes. from Christmas Eve with uh, Joe Brand as Christmas Present. Hmm. Another yeah. update now available on Apple TV Plus is Spirited with Will Ferrell, and Ryan Reynolds, and there's the Netflix cartoon musical Scrooge A Christmas Carol with Olivia Colman as the voice of the ghost of Christmas past. It's a Wonderful Life, as far as I'm aware, is the only film based on a Christmas card. Uh, Was it Robert Riskin, the writer anyway, sent out this Christmas card and it became quite successful, got passed among people, and it was amplified from that. Um, and a, and a, if I remember correctly, was not a success to begin with, not particular success. It was when um, uh, uh, TV needed it fillers. It became a success on college campuses, I think, and then TV needed fillers, and it just fit neatly, I think, into a, something like a ninety-minute slot or something like that with all the ads, or it may be in two hours with all the ads. And so it was rather later that it became the big success that it was. Um, yes, I do like it. I still think it's a bit. There's a little bit of sort of saccharine cloying sentimentality in in places but it's lovely 
very and hard. it's very dark it. in other places. Yeah, it is. And avoid all costs the avoid at all costs the colorized version as well. Oh gosh, yeah. Which of course has this awful mistake that they've colorized the photographs on the mantelpiece, which of course would not have been colorized because they were would be in black and white. Um, Indeed, it is. Okay. It is quite dark. But the, but but then that makes the the end. And of course, stars James Stewart. I mean, you know, what could possibly there be not to like in this film? I know, I know. Anyway, at number nine, guess what we've got? The Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Which was at number nine the previous yeah. week. And at number 10, we've got The Menu, which was at number five, down 56%, which has okay. just been nominated, deservedly, I think, for two Golden Globes, for Rafe Fiennes as chef and Anya Taylor-Joy as Margot. I saw it again for a third time this week. Wow. And I would be very happy to see it a fourth time next week, if you ask me. It is a perfect yes. movie. Have you, you yes. haven't seen it yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm slightly worried it's going to vanish from cinemas before I get the chance to, to do that. It I am slightly nervous. I confess about seeing it, but um, you assured me that I probably would enjoy it, so I will. I will give it a go, James. Are you a bit nervous of black comedy and satire? No, I'm nervous of, of things that stray into horror, and I'm slightly it's worried not, that, that it's not a horror film. Okay. I took a dear female friend of mine to see it this week, and she thought it was terrific, and. She, She's thinking about seeing it another time. There isn't an inch of flab in this movie. Every moment counts, and it never stopped. It is so kinetic. All right. It's an ensemble piece. It is wonderful. It's my second favourite movie of the year. Okay. Well, James, we better we better progress because I know there are two other films you want to talk about. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I, this is this is uh, streaming on Netflix. I, I don't think it's a good sign that I spent a lot of my time watching Lady Chatterley's Lover, trying to decide whether or not the actor playing Sir Clifford looked more like Matthew McFadden or Bertie Carville. He's actually a combination of the two, <laughs> both of whom would have been perfectly cast in the role. But this is Emma Corrin's show. Emma Corrin being the yeah, actor yeah. who played Princess Di in the fourth season of The Crown. I also spent a lot of, lot of the time watching the film trying to pretend that Lady Chatterley wasn't Lady Diana. She seems to have taken <laughs> many of the latter's mannerisms to Ragby Hall, the large estate where Chatterley and her husband, Sir Clifford, Matthew Duckett, who really plays Sir Clifford, uh, where they start their married life together. I think a lot of listeners will have a rough idea of what Lady Chatterley's lover is about, so I won't bang on about it, other than to say it is adapted from the 1928 novel by D.H. Lawrence that was banned for 32 years, largely because of its strong language. The language has been toned down here, although the 15 certificate is still surprising. I think maybe it got away with a 15, because one might file Lady Chatterley's lover under the classics section in your local blockbuster, uh, if such a thing still existed. Mm -hmm. but the problem with the story is coaxing the onlooker to believe in it, something that I've never been able to do, regardless of whether Danielle Dario, Sylvia Christel, Jolie Richardson, Marina Hines or Holiday Granger was play, playing Lady Constance. And now we have Emma Corrin, who struck me as a strange creature, socially awkward, hunched, and at times monosyllabic to a fault. I never believed that she was a real human being. 
But then I felt everybody was acting. And I think a lot of this had to do with the direction of Laura de Clermont-Tonnerre. Mm-hmm. There was way too much dappled sunlight, odd camera angles, and a score from Isabella Summers, the keyboardist of Florence and the Machine, that was melodramatic, laughably so at times. Interestingly, the last French director to tackle the story, Pascal Ferrand, felt that the 1928 version of the book was essentially unadaptable. So she tackled an earlier version by D.H. Lawrence called John Thomas and Lady Jane, which even then was the third French version to feature Lady Chatterley. He was called John Thomas? Yes, Good gracious. Okay. Which is why John Thomas is... Oh, is it? Oh, I see. I had not realised. Thank you very much. You learned a lot from this programme. Absolutely. But after that, there was the French TV series. The French are really obsessed with Lady Chatterley, presumably because she is a modern woman who attempts to take control of her own sexuality. Well, this edition left me cold, and apparently I'm in a minority. I was listening to Radio 4, and they weren't... 100% 100% keen on it, it did steer me back to the novel, which is a good thing. And I think Jack O'Connell is a very good actor. I should point out he plays the gamekeeper, Melors. But I really didn't believe in him either. So the film of the week, if I've got time to talk about it, yeah. is called Emancipation. It is often presumed, at least in some circles, that actors who suffer for their art are putting in an amazing performance. I think a perfect example of this is the hell that Leonardo DiCaprio went through in The Revenant. And bingo, he finally won the Oscar for Best Actor. There is a certain buzz in the hallowed corridors of Hollywood that in spite of, you know what, Will Smith will be up for a nomination next year for Emancipation. It is a serious film about a serious subject and mr smith gives it his all at least he has put through the ringer like never before and i'm sure he suffered for his art the showbiz the showbiz publication variety suggested that the actor was in with a good chance to redeem himself with voters following his hissy fit at the ceremony last month march but the buzz now seems to be waning He plays a slave known only as Peter, who is married with three children and is helping to build a Confederate railroad. It's, if I remember correctly, set in 1863. The film opens with the legend based on a true story. But let's get one thing straight. Emancipation is not based on a true story. It may be inspired by a man who really lived, whose only name we know of as Gordon, but everything he goes through and achieves in Antoine Fuqua's slave drama is based on the imagination of the scenarist William N. Collage. There was a photograph of a slave called Peter that was widely circulated in 1963 and which changed hearts and minds about the whole slavery experience. The man in the picture is naked to the waist, and has his back towards the camera, which is latticed with a network of horrendous whelps and scars. It is said that this single terrible image helped to change the tolerance of slavery as an acceptable fact of life. So what William N. Collage has done, he's run with that, and he's invented the story about this slave. 
Now, the director Antoine, Antoine Fuqua is well known for his visceral thrillers, films like Training Day, which won Denzel Washington an Oscar, mm. Brooklyn's Finest and The Equalizer. And this is his Schindler's List. That is, it is an astonishingly well-made film. Even beautiful, one could say, at least cinematographically. It's inspired by the true story of a real man, like Schindler's List. It is a sweeping epic in scope, and it deals with a terrible injustice inflicted on a people who happen to be the wrong race. Emancipation is also in black and white, but like Schindler's List, not entirely. My problem with it was that it was so self-consciously trying to be a masterpiece. I loved the score. I loved the locations. I loved the cinematography. But the two leaning characters, Will Smith was such a resourceful character, so wily and conversant with the world around him, that he comes off as almost indestructible. And at times, it felt like watching a Rambo film. There's little he can't do or accomplish, whether it's smoking out the bees up a tree to steal the honey or handling a gun or wrestling with an alligator. And as the archetypal villain, Ben Foster was so one dimensional. Mm, mm. Um, I think an iota of nuance might have brought a degree of credibility. There is nuance in Schindler's List. There is nuance in 12 Years a Slave. Mm. But this is what emancipation needed. I mean, it is maybe the best film Antoine Fuqua has made, but it did not move me. I, I winced a lot of times, and I'm quite a hardened critic. It's really hard to watch at times, but yes. I just didn't. I just didn't believe it. But I will say, very. I know I've got to go. Um, there is this Australian actress called Charmaine Bingwa, who plays Will Smith's wife with such an aching humanity that she just puts everybody else in the shade. She is brilliant. I've never seen her before, but she's getting Oscar buzz. She deserves it. Will Smith doesn't. Okay. James, thank you very much indeed. That's it for The Business of Film. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. I am big. It's the picture that got small.